You're listening to The Last Thing I Saw. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm an editor and a writer, and I'm your host. We've been talking a lot about film festivals on here lately, so this episode will be a bit of a break. I'm calling it the Family Edition slash Time Travel episode, but that doesn't really cover it all. My guest is my friend and colleague, Rob Sweeney, who produces DVDs and Blu-rays for the distributor Kino Lorber. Rob has had a couple of projects lately. One is figuring out good things to watch for a youngster, specifically a four-year-old movie lover. And his other project is some fantastically entertaining Indian movies, which he's been working his way through. I've worked with Rob on a number of articles, and his voracious interest in genre cinema never disappoints. And on the time travel front, we catch up with a strange pair of movies that came out before the full season started. I've listed some of these movies in the podcast description, and you can find out more in my newsletter. Welcome back to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm here talking again about the most recent things I've seen, um, but more importantly, the recent, most recent things other people have seen, because who wants to hear me yammering on all the time? And for this episode, I'm very pleased to be talking with another person I have not seen hide nor hair of uh, for a while, uh, thanks to the uh, pandemic and possibly my own hermetic tendencies. <laughs> But in any case, uh, I've, I've always been really happy to uh, edit his work and learn about movies from, from him. And that is Rob Sweeney. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, I can finally ask. I, I always w- was wondering what the story behind your, your byline was, which is, which is R. Emmett Sweeney. I was an intern at The Village Voice when I first got published. And essentially, I just thought my name was boring. And, uh, you know, Jay Hoberman was right around the corner. So I decided to go with that for my first byline when I did a blurb for The Village Voice. And that's that's just the boring story. Just copying, copying Jim Hoberman. I, I <laughs> thought there might be some story to where you were um, like an Emmett Walsh fan or something. I, I ended up being one, but yeah, <laughs> not the same. Yeah. There's also a cinematographer named Robert Sweeney. But that wasn't oh. why I, ch- <laughs> I changed it. It was just, I thought my name, I thought Robert Sweeney was just a boring name. Who wants to read something by Robert Sweeney? Not me. Well, people would be missing out if they made that miscalculation. Um, so how how have you been? I mean, it's been a, a long time. Um, you, just so listeners know, you, you work at Kino Lorber. Maybe you can talk a bit about what you do there. Yeah, I work on the physical media side. So I put together... A lot of the DVDs and Blu-rays that we release, which still exist, by the way, <laughs> um, and and doing doing very well. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I put those together. We commission a lot of essays, sometimes from you and other great writers. We have this great box set coming out, The Jewish Soul, 10 Yiddish films, and just mentioned Jay Hoberman. He did an audio commentary for the Dybbuk on that one. That'll be oh, out in November. So yeah, we're still working on a lot of amazing films and um, putting a lot of special features together and so it's like curating those and from start to finish from the covers to the extras to the transfers and all that i'm i'm a proud owner of a number of kino lorber titles and i also have to say that i not only are they still thriving as far as i'm concerned but they're kind of vital uh just in terms of especially streaming uh, and internet you know not always being an especially reliable thing 
um, it very much reminds you of, of the necessity of physical media and, and its benefits. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the, the difference maker to me in physical media is being able to put the movies in, in context and not just the quality of the transfer, but having people put films in context. And it's very important. I'd also like to single out since we're doing promo time that <laughs> we just did a, a Maya Darren collection, which was singled out by um, Cinema Retrovado and their DVD awards by one of the judges there. Um, and so Maya Darren, you know, you can watch these films, you know, a lot of them on YouTube, but these are all new HD transfers and supplemented by essays and commentaries by Maura Jean Sullivan and Tom Speard. And so I think that's another essential set that you're not going to get uh, the same kind of experience with uh, just watching a, a you know bootleg version on YouTube. It's a totally different thing. And also, you know, I guess as I mentioned, it's been really great working with you on different pieces. You wrote about the best uh, actions. You took me up on my pretty random random call to, to to write about the best action scenes of the past decade. Speaking of physical physicality, um, and then that kind of you, you continued on on that beat. Uh, you, you wrote something for the Smithsonian? I didn't I didn't write something. They asked me to make a list of the 25 best Hong Kong action scenes of the last 25 years and um, then had a discussion on it in like a Zoom chat. So I was watching a ton of them earlier a few months ago trying to catch up on everything I had missed. And there's so much good stuff. I read one that really blew me away was um, High Risk, also known as Meltdown. Um, which is a Jet Li kind of takeoff on uh, Die Hard. Hmm. And it's it's also kind of a parody of Jackie Chan. Uh, it's a Wang Jing is the director who is makes these very gonzo, very inside, self-referential comedies in, in all genres. And in this one, uh, it's right after he made City Hunter with Jackie Chan, which Jackie Chan later criticized uh, and they had like, some kind of falling out so in high risk he has um jackie chung play this like dissolute hilarious version of jackie chan this like this burnt out star who no longer does his own stunts and is an alcoholic <laughs> it's very funny and then you add in just the incredible stunt work um and jet lee's ability and flaming cars and uh, they destroy this building um it's it's quite it's quite fun so i really like that one and one that also surprised me is uh, Fox Hunter, which is uh, directed by Stephen Tung, who I wasn't really familiar with before. But Stephen Tung is a, a great coordinator, and it has these incredible kind of gunfights, the kind of like gun fu kind of thing that John Wick uh, kind of made popular. Um, and these are both, I think they're both 95. Um, so those are the two that kind of jumped out to me outside of all the Jackie Chans, of course, and other classics that you were more familiar with. I like the idea of having a, a Jackie Chan parody. So it, it's almost like a action movie is diss track or something like that. Oh, absolutely. It's very, it's totally vicious. Um, I don't know if they ever made up Wong Jing and Jackie Chan. I hope so. They, they, they did some good stuff together. Yeah. So you work from home. And so yes. um, I think we were talking just now about how some of your viewing, um, obviously, you know, is guided by what you'll be watching with your family. Yeah. What has that been like? So yeah, so I have a, a four-year-old daughter. So it's me, my wife, Andrea, and my daughter, Alice. And so yeah, we've been home, you know, we were in Brooklyn throughout the whole pandemics so or inside most of the time. And we decided to do like a 
quarantine family movie night a lot. So, and the rule, well, the only rule was we had to watch something we hadn't, that she hadn't seen before. And so this was my way of trying to force <laughs> movies on her to start with. <laughs> so we watched a bunch of Shirley Temple movies. Um, the auteur Shirley's, of course, John Ford's Wee Willie Winky, um, and Alan Dwan's uh, Heidi and uh, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm and Young People. And they're all so much fun. Heidi, especially. And Alice, I think Heidi was Alice's favorite because it has this uh, monkey that goes nuts and like climbs on a chandelier and starts throwing things at the evil orphan mistress lady. <laughs> so that was like my kind of trying to force my tastes on her. But she enjoyed them well enough. Uh, but as, the, as it went along, you know, it's just whatever. We just started letting her pick stuff more and more. And so you end up or in the Disney Plus zone for a lot of it. Like, yeah, Onward debuted there. That was whatever. Wait, what, but, I, don't, I, I don't even know what, what Onward is. That is that. It was the new Pixar movie. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, like uh, a world where, you know, fairy tales are real. They're like, uh, they're like trolls or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> they go on a quest. What, what is it about quests and fairy tales? I mean, I'm sure people have written about this, but how are those so persistent in these these movies? I, I just, I mean, I, I don't I don't understand it. I, I, <laughs> it's just a, you know, formula and it works for them. And part of the formula is having the, the dead mom or dead dad. And in this one, it's a dead dad. They're on a quest to, uh, they have a spell to bring him back to life, but it only works halfway. So only his bottom half comes back. So that's just his legs. You know, there's some good good gags with that, but otherwise, it's pretty uh, standard. It's kind of propaganda to to make sure children value their parents. Ultimately, <laughs> well, I hope they do. <laughs> That's propaganda I support. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's you know the typical Pixar tear jerking. They know how to manipulate parents to cry. Yeah. Although I don't think I cried at that one. Andrew might have. The one that made me cry though. So um, so as we went along. Uh, randomly, Alice just picked one off the shelf because I was out of ideas. And she ended up, she picked off um, Mamoru Hosoda's Wolf Children, which is a beautiful Japanese anime, which I didn't think she would like because it's very, it's about a woman who falls in love with the wolf and they have a kid. But it's basically about a single mother raising the two children and how difficult it is and exhausting and so I thought she would be totally bored by it, but she became obsessed with it. And we just got back from vacation. She made my parents watch it. She made Andrea's mother watch it. So that was a nice surprise yeah. that she fell fell into it. So she really liked the kids who could change back and forth between being wolves and being children. And that and that movie just makes Andrea and I puddles. We just weep and weep at that one because it's all about how you're going to lose. Like your children go away. They're they're going to go no matter what you do. So you just have to accept. It's about accepting, like accepting that they're your children's disappearance from your lives. <laughs> wow. Like, that's basically the theme of the movie. And um, it's quite extremely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so that was a nice, a nice surprise. Instead of her watching, you know, whatever uh, Tinkerbell movie on Disney plus she becomes obsessed with briefly. Yeah, those kind of transformation into wolves, that's that's a part of a separate fairy tale tradition. Um, maybe there can be more movies made along those lines rather than the usual 
I, I don't know, kings and princes. And... Yeah, I, and Hosoda has been really good at this. I think Mirai, his last film also, I thought was excellent. He's been putting out lots of really cool stuff. The Boy and the Beast, um, Summer Wars. Uh, the Girl Who Leapt Through Time is another one that Alice liked because she, she likes any film with the, like a, a girl lead, essentially. And the thing about her picking wolf children off the shelf, that's another advantage of uh, physical media because if you're on the algorithm on Netflix, you're never going to, never ever, is she going to stumble upon that? Mm. It's just going to give her another Pixar movie. It's going to give her another episode of Sophia the First or whatever Disney show she's into at the time. Um, so being able to pull something off the shelf randomly and discover something that way is not something that streaming allows for in the same way. Yeah. And, and yeah, and as you say, it kind of actively organizes against that kind of happenstance to a certain extent. I, I cannot stand that. I cannot stand some, yeah, algorithm or whatever, even just the, the menu system of, of those things, the way they second guess you or... Uh, <laughs> They're very judgmental menus. <laughs> yeah. And and Alice is getting really good with the remote now, which is uh, disturbing. So she can basically start a show by herself. Mm. And um, so, you, you you know, if you're not paying attention, you don't know what exactly she's going to choose. Now she's into this <laughs> French animated show called Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir. It's just like a superhero coming of age high school kind of show. And it's fine. It's very repetitive, very repetitive. It's the same plot every episode. Is it in French or? No, it's dubbed in English. I'm, I'm just imagining like her watching Wrapped when it's just like all in French or something and, and casually picking up French somehow that way. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, she did catch Bonjour and Camembert. So. <laughs> That's all you need. That's, <laughs> That's all you need. Um, actually, I just wanted to jump back because I was sort of just thinking now, what did Alice think of Shirley Temple? Like as, as you know, because she's such a fascinating kind of star and also just a child as force of nature, you know, I don't know. Yes, well, because she's almost always an orphan. So she kind of, she's just like appeared out of the, you know, the ether, fully formed <laughs> as this independent girl who can do anything herself. Um, Alice did really like them but uh, she did not ever like request to watch them again, uh, which is an indicator of how, you know, because she goes through these obsessions where she wants to watch things over and over again. And that didn't happen with those movies, but she did enjoy them at the time. I don't know if it's just the, the pacing or the fact that it's in black and white um, or what have you, but she did not return to them. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and and try again especially with Heidi which I think she really related to mm. but yeah the Shirley Temple thing where she's always an orphan the missing parents thing is just a you know a trope that goes back forever and I think will always be effective for kids because it's you know that that search for identity and and freedom and you know trying to forge your own identity separate from your parents I think that's never gonna that's always gonna work for kids yeah I remember there's a there's a kind of a, a nice little story about the first movie she watched in a theater setting. The first time we took her to a movie theater, we took her to um, Wizard of Oz on uh, 35 millimeter at Metrograph. I mean, yeah, what a... <laughs> but she loved Wizard of Oz when she was like two. Uh, and so we decided to take her and knew she wouldn't last. 
but she had a good time. She lasted like 45 minutes, but almost immediately she wandered out of her chair and uh, walked up to the screen, up to the front and put her hand up and was like touching the screen. Oh, wow. I'm totally fascinated by, by the size of it and like maybe, you know, wanting to see if it was real or not. But uh, yeah, Wizard of Oz was one of her earliest obsessions. We also took her to see Frozen 2 at the Alpine in Bay Ridge, which was an incredible experience um, as well. But yeah, the first one was, yeah, Wizard of Oz at Metrograph and her wandering up to the screen and wanting to to see if it was how real it was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just find that kind of, uh, and any time, you know, anyone gets blasé about, about, I actually, I don't think anyone's feeling blasé about a theater experience right now, but. but no. <laughs> Um, well, that's an, always another interesting question, or sometimes dismaying. Well, do you remember what the last movie you saw in a theater? Um, yeah, because my my film going had really tapered off because of the kid and the best. So I'm trying to remember. Like, I think it even might have been, it might have been the uh, Rajnikanth film Darbar, which I think I saw in like January. I was so pumped to see that because I had never seen a Rajnikanth film in a theater. And there was like nobody there. It has his the open. He has like this opening theme song, "Superstar Rajnikanth," when the movie starts to all of his films, and it was uh, it was quite transporting. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that's it. But I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. But you, you've been watching another Indian filmmaker at, at length recently. Yes. So yeah, Rajnikanth is uh, from the Tamil film industry, but I've been watching um, the films of SS Rajamuli the last couple of weeks who he's most famous for directing Bahubali parts one and two, which are these incredible historical fantasy films with these enormous battles like Lord of the Rings esque battles. And I've been trying to catch up. There's some extraordinary ones. Uh, first of all, Iga, which is this remarkable use of CGI. It's uh, a story about a guy who gets killed and is reincarnated as a fly. And as a fly, he gets revenge on the man who murdered him and tried to steal his girlfriend. When he first turns, in, turns into a fly and is exploring like the, the feeling of flights through this field, like it felt like for a little while, like a Malik movie. Cause you know, it's you know, wordless, just <laughs> like a camera being unmoored. And then it gets into the revenge drama, which is brilliant because uh, he, kind of like psychologically tortures this guy by constantly like trying to go inside his ear. Um, <laughs> and he, said he can never sleep. God. And then he eventually communicates with his ex-girlfriends because she uh, does like tiny jewelry. <laughs> so she has this like, you know, magnifying equipment um, and he like spells out that it's me. <laughs> and then they both start conspiring <laughs> to, <laughs> to figure out a way to kill this guy. And it's quite, incredibly creative and resourceful in how it deploys the CGI of the fly. So he is just a normal sized fly. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a tiny little guy who can dance. There's a great dance sequence as well he, where he, as a fly. And, <laughs> wait, so, <laughs> so that must be like, it's like at the end. Yes. That's like in close. Cause he's so tiny. That must be a close up in dance, right? Or yes. Yes. <laughs> What year is that from? 2012. 2012. So he comes out of the Tulugu, or also known as Tollywood, I don't know, film industry, and I guess he started in, in like soap operas. But he's he has these like remarkable, remarkable storyteller. 
kind of taking you in unusual places. The other one that I really liked was uh, Mariada Ramana from 2010. And that is kind of a loose remake of uh, Buster Keaton's Our Hospitality, hmm. um, where this guy, is, he, he gets this land from his mother, but there's this old uh, family feud he's unaware of. So the family in this town still wants to kill him, even though it's been 25 years. Um, and he goes inside their house before they know each other's identity. And he goes to dinner with them. And when the family finally founds out who he is, they're like, oh, we have to kill him. But the dad has this rule that they can't, no violence inside of the house. Um, and so the guy has tries to figure out how to stay inside the house as long as possible so they can't kill him. <laughs> you know, So he honors his rule, which he stands by. Um, and so it's this mix of violence and humor and uh, it's very tense and very funny. And, and you can see you know, how the way he uses visual effects more in Iga than Mariada Romana, but how that start, that's going to build to Bahubali, which is an absolute beautiful epic with like flaming arrows and mm. masked armies. And uh, the main thing is like a royal, you know, it's this about a guy who comes from nothing, but turns out to be of royal blood, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and Bahubali was briefly a meme because there's one section where guys are throw catapulting like humans over like a castle rampart. <laughs> and that went viral, I think, for a little while. And a lot of these are easy to watch. Um, Bahubali, I think, is on Netflix. And Iga and Mariada Ramana are both on Amazon Prime. Yamadonga is also... It's not as like mind blowing, but it's still good. <laughs> it's this guy. He's this. He's SS Rajabli does seem to be interested in kind of con artist figures, mm. um, and in and in Yamadanga, he's a con artist who kidnaps this woman who thinks this he's her boyfriend, so she doesn't object to being kidnapped because she doesn't know she's being kidnapped. And there's also a side plot where he goes to hell. Well, not hell. Sorry, he goes into the the realm of the gods with uh, Yamadanga because in a pit of despair, he challenges Yamadanga, who's like a god, a demigod maybe. And so Yamadanga, it kills him so he can like prove that he's better than him. And so he goes to the afterlife, the, um, I don't have the right word, mm. but into the realm of the gods and then comes back to continue his like con artist game with this girl who, who of course they eventually fall in love for real. But this fusing of supernatural elements and the the everyday life, the drama of everyday life with like making ends meet. Mm. He's able to do this in a very kind of seamless, inventive manner. Yeah. And a lot of a couple of the films I noticed open with uh, like somebody saying, well, I'm going to tell you a story, you know, and this is how it starts. And so it's like this narration from omniscient narrators. So. These, these sound sound terrific. I, is he writing the, the screenplays as well? It sounds almost like he must because they seem, I don't know, sort of of a piece in a way. He did write Mariada Romana. I'd have to go with them one by one, but I do think he's written most of them mm. um, as well. But yeah, he's very much of a, I think he's you know, a screenplay first guy yeah. and then building it out. These are on Netflix and, and Amazon. I've one thing I'm I'm always surprised about there is just because you I don't know how you would find them unless you were making very specific searches, but they seem to have a pretty healthy selection of of, of older uh, Indian and 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 specifically Bollywood movies on there. They do from all over, yeah, Bollywood and um, 
Tamil and Telugu. And, and there's also one, something you can su- subscribe to called Eros Now, E-R-O-S, mm-hmm. that also has even more uh, Indian cinema. Um, but that one, they don't always have English subtitles, but mm-hmm. you have to check. But yeah, you really have to know what you're looking for. But if you start digging, there's an incredible amount of, of stuff there. Yeah, I'd also recommend the, this Rajinikanth film from the 80s called Johnny, which is it's extraordinarily moving melodrama where he plays a double role, both pursuing the hand of Sri Devi, who's playing this, uh, this singer. Mm. One's like a barber and another guy is also a musician. And that's that's a good one too. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, like, would you ever want to release one of these movies? Just hearing you talk about them and they seem like things that would be fun for you know, a, a wide range of reviewers who might not otherwise know about them. As 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 a DVD, I mean. Yeah. Uh it's um it's the nature of the Indian film business right now. I mean, I've heard from other people who have tried, but they just don't have an interest in physical media. Uh, if you try to look for it, they, it's kind of dead there. Mm. Um, almost everything is streaming. And I think one guy, I can't remember his name, but on Twitter, and he was talking about how he tried to get a license for physical media, but they just don't care right now. Like they make so much money, I guess, just from these streaming deals, you know, pre-sale these streaming deals that they're just kind of abandon it. Mm. And it's too bad because there are a lot of movies that are, while there are a ton that are available, it's a small percentage of the movies that are out there that were made. And so, you know, when I was doing that article on Vetri Moran, I couldn't find an English subtitled version of Poladevan, mm. even though that's from, from like the early aughts, something like that. So things are going to disappear, I think, if there are no, at least for consumers, if there are no physical media uh, versions of films that existed before the streaming boom that were going to end up there but that's a topic i'm no expert on but just from my brief experience and trying to dig things up yeah I, I wonder if the bootleg street sales of things are also a factor that just things get out there like that and so you know why bother trying to license something i, I don't know i just don't think they have the um the interest and they don't have the interest in licensing it to the u.s it's like too maybe it's just too much work for them and they don't have you know they have to hire more people to handle all those contracts and stuff right. like we're making tons of tons of money just going the streaming route so uh you know i have to have some have somebody close to the business inside who would be interested in that and i don't know who that person would be right now so yeah i mean i would love to work on any of these titles for for blu-ray but as far as I know, it's not something that the Indian distributors are interested in pursuing. Yeah. So SS Rajamuli, what's what's the next one you're going to watch on, on that front? I have to start some digging because I want to watch this. I want to watch Magadira from 2009, which is like um, a fantasy action film. So it would seem to be like a direct precursor to Bahubali. Mm. But this is one that is not on Amazon Prime. It's not on Netflix. I have, I'm going to have to start looking at other places. You know, there's there's other streaming sites. I, I briefly subscribed to one called Hotstar. There's another one called Tentkata. Um, I'll have to go and see where I can locate it. And there's, you know, one called Einthusan, which looks legitimate, but is apparently uh, a bootleg site. Mm. Uh, but... 
I will try to watch this legally somehow. <laughs> I just have to find the time because it takes time to, to search for these things. Yeah. This is one that's like it just slipped through the cracks of the two big streamers. Um, and now, you know, hopefully I can track it down. I'm sure it's not that difficult because it's 2009 and he's a big deal. But um, they should they should release these uh, in multiplexes now, you know, while, while people are hungry to, to see things, maybe they will try something new. So <laughs> right alongside Tenet or something, I would love if people could go see some sort of ongoing retrospective of Rajamuli. <laughs> I know. Oh, and so in this one, sorry, I'm just reading the synopsis. He's it's it's like another thing with like uh, everyday and supernatural. So it's about a dirt bike racer who gets in like a, an accident. He has like a a vision, and then he like I don't know transports back in time or something. I don't know. I guess <laughs> I guess I have to, I have to see it. That's probably not what the plot is. But, uh... Time time travel plus. But he's like a dirt bike rider and like the cover of the poster, he's like brandishing a huge sword. That sounds promising. I can't wait to connect these dots. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to track some of those down. Um, you've also watched uh, some new releases. Yes. What do you want to start with? Cause I guess we have a couple that are pretty different. <laughs> well, maybe not so different in some ways, mind bending in different ways, I guess. Yes. Well, let's go see with, with the one I watched first, I guess. Bill and Ted face the music since that's also it's in it's you know in a Rajamuli vein that's true traveling <laughs> through time and space uh supernatural elements so there there there's some there's some crossover there yeah i thought first of all 91 minutes thank you bill and ted face the music <laughs> for that but i thought it was kind of a remarkably was able to channel the the vibe of those original movies 25 years later kind of loose and silly and uh I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know. I think yeah. it was quite charming. I mean, my only complaint is one one of the charms of the first two films is that the historical characters were more, you know, they had more drawn personalities and, uh, you know, Napoleon loved water parks and uh, uh, <laughs> Joan, with Joan of Arc, what was it? She loved paintball or something. I forget. But, um, <laughs> but these ones, the historical characters, they're kind of, uh, their face value they don't add add much to it yeah it's more just getting a band together sort of thing so my problem with this one is is sort of my own problem which is that i don't think i ever saw bogus excellent adventure and bogus journey Yeah, i did not join them on their bogus journey so <laughs> i think i mean i just i just missed it i don't know i i so i don't actually know how exactly this this one fits in with that what, what is it following up on exactly oh well, the character of death bogus journey is all about how they're they're sent to to hell and they um you know bargain with death to get back to life and so that character um william sadler plays that's that whole character that whole plot line is from the second movie and you know the the, the, the two wives who you know are given nothing to do really uh, that's from the first movie mm-hmm. and um it hits its spots in the keanu and alex winter especially uh I love their British rocker phase, I think. Are, <laughs> uh, they don't look, you know, too horribly old. My favorite part was the um, the robot character, Dennis Caleb McCoy, played by Anthony Kerrigan, this completely incompetent robot who Holland Taylor in the future sends back to kill Bill and Ted, like a Terminator thing, is just completely incompetent. And uh, 
it's just killing the wrong people and then immediately apologetic about it. No, I mean, I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I just can't, can't remember anything about it. Uh, which is not a bad thing, but it's, I lo- what did you think of their kids in, in this one? I thought that they were kind of amusing foils. It, it was almost somehow, I guess they're supposed to maybe make a viewer like me feel old. I, I don't know. <laughs> Just in the sense that it's like, I mean, I think both of those actresses were born after the original or even Bogus Journey, right? I'm sure, yeah. So watching them kind of adopt these kind of mannerisms that are now kind of retro references was sort of disorienting. Yeah, Bogus Journey was 91, so I think they are both born after that came out. I mean, they're given a tough job, especially with the kind of the limited screen time because they have to split them up. So yeah, the Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne, who play uh, Bill and Ted's daughters, they're... They're, yeah, they're kind of stuck just playing impersonations of Bill and Ted, and I don't think they're given uh, enough time to expand beyond that. But but within that box, they're very charming. Um, I like how it kind of like build up of absurdity as they keep going to different timelines. And yeah, one thing I, again, I don't want to take the the fun out of this. Please do. <laughs> let me just let me just extract any and all fun out of it. But it was kind of interesting watching it because thinking a lot about time travel lately and what that's become in how that's been used in stories lately. And when I was watching it, I couldn't help feeling, couldn't put a finger on it. Why I was watching this Bill and Ted this time around, why, why did it feel a little different? And mm-hmm. I don't want to, again, attribute everything to like the internet. Um, but but it, it's funny to think that the Bill, original Bill and Ted idea is very, there's something very pre-internet about it, the kind of goofy wonder of, of traveling through time and that kind of in, instantaneous and juxtaposition of, of different time frames. I don't know, it might have to do with like when they actually do the time travel on this one, they don't actually um, spend a lot of time in the different locations. They don't really build out mm. the different periods, I think, as, as much as they did in the the earlier films they kind of like they go there for like 30 seconds grab somebody and leave uh <laughs> and so the, you don't get the same sense of uh you know traveling to different worlds in this one as you do in the other ones right but i did appreciate the the compounding nonsense of and and the way kid cuddy's character kind of uh mathematically explains the infinite realities and stuff oh yeah yeah that was in a deadpan way yeah yeah. and to get to this you know highly like sentimental conclusion that kind of worked i don't know if that's only because i'm a dad now and i'm just cry at everything but it was sweet it was sweet yeah yeah the other new release uh that we watched is also uh i mean unreal but in a completely different way and also kind of Mm -hmm. uh yeah, a porous, a porous sense of reality. Um, and, and, and also, I guess you just say consciousness, period. Um, and that is, I'm thinking of ending things. A Charlie Kaufman directed movie. What do you make of this? I, I should preface this by saying that I am, I watch the movies like, uh, like this after everybody goes to bed. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's like, I watch this in two parts, like when I'm like half asleep at, you know, midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the way I have to watch things now. Uh, so, but that might not be the worst way to watch this one. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know where the best place to start is, but I guess when you said it was porous, yeah, uh, in terms of in terms of time and consciousness, like it's just everything slips back and forth, and you can't get a real handle on it, um, which is to its credit. But I also I also have trouble with the um, the whole like I was picked on <laughs> in high school aspect of it, a kind of self pity pitying part of it. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of you know intrigued by it, but I like you to to yeah. I I mean set me on the right path. No, I mean I I don't really know still what 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 I think of it either. I mean it's well maybe just outlining the the action but just as a base. Basically, it starts with a couple who was driving somewhere, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the beginning of it. So it's a car ride scene. At a pivotal point in the relationship, I guess you'd say, because it's a guy who's driving, they're driving to meet his parents um, in a rural area that really seems to be in, in the middle of the boondocks, a disconnected area. And uh, you have Jesse Plemons playing the boyfriend and actually just realizing now it's two Jessies, Jesse Buckley playing the girlfriend. And that turns into, yeah, like a family visit, just which is sort of vaguely almost like a Thanksgiving or Christmas sort of movie where you're kind of exposed to the, the weirdness of your, of your own family reflecting you back to you. Yeah. And I don't know how or whether I can really describe what happens after that. I don't, I don't know if that's the first point where things do start to, yeah, the lines start to blur a general dissociation kind of seems to be taking place. Yes. And uh, mainly told through the Jesse Buckley character's perspective, you get to listen in to her interior monologue a lot uh, during the car ride. And she's constantly trying to build herself up to break up with him throughout the entirety of the movie and can never quite pull the trigger. Yeah. The, the use of uh, voiceover and continually interrupting like her own thoughts and how it's she's so much more eloquent uh, in your own head than in um, conversation, uh, especially in a relationship you're trying to get out of. And then all of the the slippages in the narrative where they tell a sto- like the story of how they meet changes multiple times, right? And the the ages, the very the ages of his parents keep changing. Sometimes they're elderly, near death. Other times they're young and yeah. It's 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 one of those. I don't know, one of those, like there are plenty of movies like this, but I mean, if, where everything seems to be the case at the same time, if that makes sense, you know, it's like, which, which there's a kind of a psychological truth to that, you know, just, I mean, I think mm-hmm. maybe I, 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 I feel like I've heard sometimes a parent say about um, a child, you know, oh, you know, even, even though they're whatever, in college now I look at them and I still see them, you know, as, as a, as a kid that, you know, or, or as a baby or something, just that sense that you can look at someone, you know, well, and you know, this is not all the time, but you, you, you see them for almost everything you know about them in a way, because you, you know them well and you, you love them. It's like Bill and Ted, except all happening at the same time, all the different <laughs> time traveling, except they're like all layered together in one moment in the Charlie. Yeah coffee film they're kind of slipping through at the same time instead of going in a time machine it just happens in the narrative here yeah and jesse plemons i think is gives quite an admirably uh, unlikable performance as uh it's kind of repressed kind of pretentious uh <laughs> like, 
Rageaholic. I think when he is given the um, you know line about David Foster Wallace, it's really the giveaway there. Um, yeah, it's just this very bleak two-step of a disintegrating relationship and uh, yeah, and disintegrating parents um, who seem to be like decomposing as you know as the film is moving along during the scene. Yeah, I mean, this maybe goes without saying, but you know, even for a cloudy weather neurotic creative voice like him, this I was just notably dark and also mm-hmm. kind of literally so. With that car ride, I mean, maybe it was me, but when in that opening car ride scene, I was just stunned. And this is not a put down, but I was just stunned that anyone would not want to lighten up that scene. It's so dark in that car, mm-hmm. and it goes on for so long, and it's. I, I mean, I just, I can't, it's one of those things where you think someone would have said in their notes, you know, that, that you might want to work on this or you might want to do this. And I just found it extremely bold that that's what he, he stuck with. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's clear. It's clearly uh, his, his vision on the screen. Yeah. I just, I just know, don't know moment to moment if um, it all connects with, for me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, just, just quickly that, that it is very disconnected. That was also surprising to me. I mean, they're just such they are such like separate acts to it. And then by the end, I mean, we haven't even talked about the end almost because I just, it's nice to kind of preserve the mind blowing nature of, of that, which also I think must have some kind of intertextual stuff going on with Oklahoma that I, I'm mm-hmm. not. Yeah. His high school. Yeah. Jesse Plemons talks about, you know, when he was performed in Oklahoma as a kid and then he's older, he's watching the kids performing it. And there's a janitor at the high school that they end up at who is shown in previous shots watching them rehearse for the show. And it's like the kids doing Oklahoma is like this one vision of of happiness in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I was also trying to figure out if that could be like extrapolated a little to, you know, just the vision that Oklahoma presents, you know, I don't know, American heartland. And then I couldn't help but thinking about, you know, although I didn't actually go to it, but this famous like restaging of Oklahoma is it last year now I can't tell I, I don't know it's it's true maybe some of it is not entirely digested I mean you definitely had to feel even with stuff like uh, synecdoche or the adaptation that it's it's sort of just on the verge of spinning out of out of control or being something that is not entirely a working structure or machine <laughs> as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of exhilarating to watch for me to watch this just because it's so, I mean, the, it's the, 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 the self-loathing is intense. It's bracing. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, I appreciate at least that intensity of feeling Yeah, that I, you know, haven't encountered in that specific tone. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. It's hard to place, and it's definitely hitting a unique chord that I, I haven't heard or you know this or seen in, yeah. in quite a while. So, yeah, I it's one that could 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 linger. Yeah. So when I was watching this, I kind of was thinking, what if this just happened to be all in like French or Hungarian or something? Would you know? Would <laughs> I think of this differently? Because there's just an, an obdurate kind of quality to it. I'm not. I'm not going to compare it to Bellatar, but it's just. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, uh, you know, just shout out to your Bellatar interview. Um, it's probably why that's in my head, but just there's almost just yeah. something like that, and not dissimilar. Also, just in the sense of like you're lingering in like these these scenes and sequences that are just pushed to the breaking point. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true in terms of the style. And I mean, but so much of like the the landscape and the the language is so American, like this the high school and mm. the, the scenery as they're driving down like the break broken down barns and the, which one of them had a new swing set out front, which was an odd little detail. But. Oh yeah. That's in that's in the book. Led to a nice argument. Hmm? Oh, that's in the book. Yeah, yeah. I I think the movie's an improvement on the book. To be honest, I think the book is a bit of a gimmick piece, um, mm. and I, there's no way you could call this <laughs> a gimmick. It's too weird. <laughs> but um, it's 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 something. It's something for sure. Yeah, and uh, like the it's somehow it's these like pulling from social media and because uh, because david foster wallace has become such a like a flashpoint for you know mansplaining and stuff and him inserting that mm. into that uh, and there was something else and for like i can't remember that i thought like it was him communicating with the uh <laughs> with social media yeah so unfortunately i can't remember but yeah no i think you're right i think you're right there i mean that's he, I mean, he wrote this book that came out this summer uh ant kind right where he is so completely that is the voice of the book. He's in the head of a movie critic is the, is the, is the main character. Um, uh-huh. And so he, he is kind of crawling into the heads of commentators or of, yeah, people having opinions. <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And then someone pointed out that there's an entire like paragraph from a Pauline Kael review that someone delivers in I'm thinking of ending things. Hmm. Yeah. And the, I don't know. So, it, it does seem like the, the critic, critical ecosystem is somehow on his mind. Ant Kind, the book, actually name drops like A.O. Scott and Nola Dargis. <laughs> it also has that weird uh, Zemeckis joke. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which was bizarre. I mean, the whole, the, the, there's like a fake movie that the janitor, the janitor is watching on television, like a, Looks like an indie romance, a guy yeah. winning over a, a waitress at this diner, um, and it's kind of you know forced and stilted, and it, <laughs> it ends and it says directed by Robert. <laughs> um, I was like, I didn't even know what the <laughs> like what, what he's, he's going for there. I was just, um, yeah, Zemeckis seems to symbolize something for him. <laughs> Yeah, I just well, it just didn't seem like a Zemeckis movie that that came, when that came. Maybe that's the point. But and apparently he got Zemeckis's permission um, to include that joke in the movie before he he did it. So, hmm. um, it's just a little side note. But yeah, he's definitely in that uh, uh, online film critic headspace, which is a scary place to be. <laughs> I don't want to be there. <laughs> um. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. So um, I, I, and also I, thanks for taking the time uh, to, to do this. So I don't want to, I don't want to uh, overstay my, my welcome. Oh, no problem. Um, it's a, my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, this is how people stay in touch now. You know, they, they, they just do podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's all there is. That's all we got left in this <laughs> dystopia. But I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, anything else uh, on the horizon uh, you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I've got an article up on uh, this site called Neotext about uh, Stephen Chow and um, the new king of comedy, comparing it to the first 
King of Comedy mm-hmm. that he directed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some other pieces coming out from them, hopefully. Um, I did write something about Rajanikanth that uh, hopefully it will be presented there soon as well. Uh, so look out for that. And and just go to uh, kinolorber.com. We've got so many titles coming out. Um, other things I worked like the Baccarat Blu-ray is just loaded with stuff. It has an hour long a making of that uh, that Kleber Mendonça Filo directed himself. Oh, cool. He did an audio commentary and Fabio Andrade has a great booklet essay. And so that's another really loaded release I would highly recommend. Yeah. And that's, that's all I've got. Thank yeah. you, Nick, for having me. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and more to call, I'm sure. Um, all right. Well, I'll let you go. And uh, yeah, come, come back anytime. Will do.